that don't Kill know that shit. Hey guys, how you doing? Well, it's been a while. Had to take a little break, uh, moved, so I'm uh, gonna put together a new studio here. But you know what, it's time. It's time to get back to a little bit of normal anyway, or whatever normal you can find out there. And this is episode 26. I'm super happy to have Mr. Paul Cardinello on the uh, show today. Paul has been playing in Montreal for a long, long time. He used to have a band called The Vendettas. Then he went on to a solo career, both in French and English, and uh, much, much more. And uh, yeah, I just can't wait to get on this. So uh, listen, the PayPal link is underneath for the uh, Be A Producer program. Any donation, whether it's 25 cents and higher, um, you'll be credited as a producer of the next episode. That's a direct way to uh, support the uh, show here. And uh, don't forget to hit subscribe to the uh, channel. It really does help. And uh, let's do this. Yay! Boom! and don't know shit. And we are on. Paul, how are you doing, brother? Doing okay under the uh, circumstances. Yeah, it's quite the time we're living in, eh? <laughs> Who would have thought I this? I know, I know. How, it's been, cra you, it's been crazy. You're you're at at home right now in your family home and stuff, right? Is, has the curfew started yet? It has eight o'clock, and um, Montreal's in uh, lockdown. Man, it's crazy. Have you seen some of the images around town, like ghost town, right? Yeah, I know. It's. Uh, I never thought this was going to happen in Montreal. I didn't think it was like. It was plausible, but of course, uh, all the half measures uh, up until now have, has led to this, you know? Well, that's it. You know, I, like, I, it's funny, I, like, uh, right before going on here, uh, I, I was seeing some friends and everybody has different points of view and really a lot of frustration. And I understand how everybody feels, but like you say, I mean, you know, at this point, I'm not sure if it's the, the be all end all and the cure or anything like that, but I mean... Yeah, something's got to happen. At least they're they're trying. You know what I mean? I'm not saying they got it right or anything like that, but there is no. Good no, answer. no, it's it's. There's no easy way out of this thing. It's just you know. I, I feel like if um, you know, if the cat government hadn't been doing so many, like I said, half measures. It's like the idea is it's every time that there's some there's they notice like oh we gotta we should do something. They're like well you know people haven't finished their Christmas shopping so we better <laughs> let them. You know it, it's like if we had just done this in December or originally if we had done a real lockdown we would be in a very different situation. I, I always wonder, like, if we did a real lockdown right at, at the start, like, what would happen? I mean, if everything was 100% locked down for, say, three weeks, because, you know, for the to allow for that two-week period when yeah. people aren't sure, like, what would have happened? I, 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 don't, I don't know, but, you know, as, as far as, like, staying open and half measures for the economy, I'm not sure that really worked out in their favor in the end, you know? I know. I love all these, like, I've heard about these countries that did, like, a pause, and they, like, nobody had to pay rent. Nobody had to pay their mortgage. Everybody, like everything, like just keep going. It's just like, and nobody's gonna lose money. We're just gonna pause for a moment. Yeah, I think that I think that was the that that sounds like the most compassionate way forward. But of course, you know, nobody does that. Exactly, and I mean, like you know, it's funny. It's one of these times where you can't ignore politics either. You know, I mean, even if you want to, you know, because like that, what a time. No matter what decision is made you know, probably half the population is going to be really pissed off, you know, no matter what's done. Absolutely. Yeah, but uh, no, it's, we're living history, that's for sure. <laughs> well, that's what I keep reminding myself, you know, it's, it's like, uh, even, even watching all this stuff happen in the States, it's kind of like, it's as scary as it feels and as like tumultuous as it is and how frustrated I am sometimes with like sitting here yelling at the Twitter feed. Uh, 
I, it's interesting to be living through a time that is, I, I think gonna be really historically interesting. Like people are gonna be like in like 30 years, we're gonna be looking back at this going like, holy shit, we were there. Well, that's it. I mean, this is going to be spoken about. I mean, just look what's happened. This pandemic, the states, the whole world. I mean, yeah. really, it's not isolated to North America either. I mean, the whole yeah. world is going to be talking about it for a very long time, you know. And, uh, you know, Amazing. some countries tried one strategy, another. Like, you can't really even judge that much. I, I mean, as long, as long as you're convinced they're trying. I mean, in some cases, maybe they aren't trying. And that can be frustrating and upsetting and all that. And rightfully so. But... Uh, you know, just right now, it's just everybody's got to fucking breathe a little bit too, right? Like I'm sensing the panic, the anger, the anxiety, you know, yeah. it, it's fucked up, man. Hey, Big D, he, he's the first, right, ever? Two times he won the impeachments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's, uh, he's a unique case of, of, uh, of God, like a God awful politician. I, I can't even because listen you know like I'm a political artist so uh, like half the time I'm, I'm like I got arts on the brain and the other half of the time it's politics but like I can't even believe it took this long I what, what I'm shocked by is how like to, for Americans to like just understand the gravity of what a jackass what a piece of shit Donald Trump is you know, oh, like it took it. it took this long for it to forget. And everybody's talking about, like, oh, well, why do it now? There's only seven days left. Well, Jesus, we should have done this day one. That that man was exposing fascist views from the beginning of his term. We should have known and we should have done something. Anyway, I've been, I've been posting a lot about it. Like, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I know like the obsession too. I mean, it's hard not to when everything's so fucked. Oh, yeah. I, I can't tell how many times I posted something, I get all, you know, in my moment. I go back and I delete it because I don't want it on my fucking page. Yeah, yeah, and like I, I try to clear my mind a bit, you know? I know, all the bad vibes. Plus you find out how many weird QAnon friends you have. You're like, <laughs> how the hell, how in the fuck did somebody, some QAnon idiot end up being my friend? I have no idea, but <laughs> that's... That's what, sometimes I do it just to find out. And then I'm like, okay, quietly delete, delete, delete. <laughs> I always said that's the one good thing about this whole Donald Trump fiasco thing. It's, you know, the racist, you know, everybody knew it existed. To what point? I don't think people really realized, you know, yeah. you know to what point, you know, everybody wants to feel good. Everybody wants to be a little bit in denial just to survive their daily routine or whatever it is. But this motherfucker drew them all out, you know? Yeah, it was, they, it was they like a litmus for test. Two seconds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. like we, we saw exact everybody's true colors for like a couple moments there, you know? But <laughs> yeah, it got... But but I mean, like I, it's I watched the whole impeachment thing today, and it was just like the whole time I'm just sitting there, and like I, I, I I'm, I'm such a frustrated. I'm, I've reached such a, a level of frustration that I'm like, I want to just reach in the screen every Republican <laughs> and just shake the shit out of them. Anyway, it didn't. It, you know, it's it's worthless here. It's, it's basically just like looking. It's like watching the circus. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's control. it. You know, like I always said right at the start, like uh, uh, this whole thing, I mean, I, I personally, I think a lot of people voted for him just for the pure entertainment value, but didn't think the entertainment would turn into a fucking, you know, with, come with consequences, let's say. But I always said, like, who the hell wants to 
fucking have the richest spoon fed pieces of shit of the world as leaders you know what i mean like just at that that's what that's what i don't really get because like i'm sure a lot of and i don't want to even want to just zero in on donald trump because it's almost too easy you know what i mean but like there's the mitch mcconnell's and all the other republic (laughs) like billion millionaire billionaire republicans for sure and in other countries and other leaders and all this but like when when people start voting for these rich people that never knew fucking you know boots on the ground life you know and stuff like that it's like how can this person ever be a leader for the people as opposed to a leader because everybody's going to be a leader to who's around them right but if they're growing up with fucking you know the head of walmart or jean couture even or whatever it is you know if if that that, if that's your people i mean that's who you're going to be representing at the end of the day because if you're that out of touch right you shouldn't even be able to run for politics and you know this is it this is my, you know, I, I said this to somebody once and they were like, oh, that's so discriminatory. And I was like, you know, the, I, yes, I, I do discriminate slightly against the very ultra rich who are completely out of touch and complete dimwits. Those are the two people that I discriminate against. I, really stupid people, I hate them. And really, <laughs> really, really rich people, I hate them. You know, so there's like a, a true hatred that's, I don't trust them I got you. at you got all. that fire burning, man, that fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely. That, how are you, the family, everybody's okay, everybody's safe? Yeah, everybody's, yeah. Uh, everybody's good. We're, we're like, we're super lucky. Uh, you know, um, I mean, kids are back at school, so, you know, you gotta, you, you're taking a lot of risk there, but, but I'm, I mean, I'm super, super lucky to have the job that I have. I mean, I make my own schedule. Uh, I have, I own a, st- a recording studio in the back of my house. So it's like, I never go that far. You know, I don't have to leave very far. My wife can work from home. So it's been, uh, in a way it's been easy. It's just the, the hardest part I think is like- And putting on your pants. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I, I, that part I can, I can get done. Uh, it's, it's the, it's the motivation to like, cause like I'm a very, I'm a very creative person. I actually, over this period of time, I released several EPs. Like I released a whole bunch of stuff. I did collaborations and I'm working with a lot of people. But the thing is like, what's really hard is putting things on hold. You know what I mean? Like, cause like, cause like I would have released a record in 20, like I had it all ready to go. Like I'm always just, I'm always working on the next thing, the next thing. And so it's just having to press pause on something that it's like, well, now this is something that I wanted to release last year. And I got to, I'm going to think about doing it this year. You know, it's like, and not being able to tour and not being able to promote and not being able to plan. That's been really hard. Cause Cause, cause like in, in the music industry, we're always like planning the next thing. And you got to think six to eight months ahead. Right. You're, mm-hmm. you're not, you never like, so, but even now, like there's a lot of like, I had contracts where I was going to be producing somebody or working with an artist or like we, they were going to be putting out a record in April. Well, that's not happening anymore. Like nobody's planning for anything. We're all just going like, we're waiting for that moment when everybody yeah, goes, man. okay, go ahead. You can, you can go see the world and tour and, and gig. And not only that, just be in the studio. Like you can't, it's not safe to be in the studio with five people. You know, it's, it's, it's just not safe. So it's not happening and nobody can do anything. That is, to me, the most frustrating shit in the world. Just like not being able to do fuck all. You and pretty much all my friends, because most of my friends are musicians and doers, you know what I mean? People that yeah. do shit. And yeah. it, it's funny because you, you touched on two subjects that I want to bring up. One is because myself, I'm in the process of writing a new record right now. And you brought up motivation. It's a bit harder than normal 
to be motivated right now, you know, because like, say, you know, we always have to plan six, eight months. Like right now we're booking shows that I don't know will happen or not. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's hard to be motivated for that shit, you know? Oh yeah. It, I mean, I had had a, uh, a booking agency just sign me. Like this was in 2020. Cause I was forming mm-hmm. like a really cool new band and things were really coming together. And I was like, all right, that's it. That's it. I got a three piece, four piece, small touring unit ready to go great musician and uh everything like i was booking lots of dates and everything was canceled yeah no, and you know I, I feel you man it's like one of those things where you're just like okay it, it would have been a different year but at the same time like we're all in the same boat and the mm-hmm. fact that the fact that our job allows us to to kind of play with time a little like you know we can stretch things out it's the, what I who I feel the most bad for I like in in the arts at least in the music scene especially are people who are kind of on that borderline that weren't making a living off of music yet just quite yet you know what I mean like they were just uh-huh. just just there it's like to coast for an entire year when I was talking about litmus tests you know like this is one of those litmus tests for artists who are like absolutely you know like we're all, like either like you're like the do it yourself you could figure this shit out you could find a way to coast you're gonna find the little other avenues to make income or you're gonna you're gonna drown in this. Like you gotta figure some other plan out. You gotta go ask your parents for money or you gotta get a job. You know, this is it. This like who and who can coast for two years without that's what it's out? looking, that's what it's looking like. Like, you know, like it, you were saying though, it's like we're all going through the exact same thing. Every, every person yeah. that I've had on this show pretty much has been a musician. Not everyone, but pre- 98%, you know. And um, we're all doing the same thing. Like, you know, it's like whether you're DIY or just trying to move to the next level or make a move, like you were talking about, you know, signing with new booking agency, we were yeah. on the road, we had to come all the way home and, you know, we, we put all the money out for a tour and it stopped before it really got going. So we couldn't yeah. recollect and signed with covert in the U S and stuff. But now, you know, everything's yeah. up in the air. And when do you put out an album through all this? Cause you don't want to waste an album as well without touring behind yeah. it and all this shit, man. I feel for all my brothers and sisters, you know, Got, you know, it's weird. It's a weird time because there are a lot of eyes on the online mm-hmm. stuff. Like every time I release something now, it's like the views get shot up super quick. And, and I'm realizing that people, people are truly online a lot. So there's a little bit of an advantage. I wonder whether releasing songs has been, has been good or successful. I'll know in like six months, you know, I guess. Yeah. When all the retroaction comes back to you. But uh I don't know. Like I, I truly, I, I, I've stopped making any predictions and I'm just like, I've stopped worrying about it. I'm like, when things come back together, I will, I'll be ready to run and roll with whatever's roll with the punches. You know? Yeah. Well, that's it. Like, you know, kind of like relationships, how many relationships broke up through COVID, you know, all of a sudden these yeah. couples have to be side by side in a house for months at a time. It's like the relationship was cool before that, but same thing for bands too. I mean, like, you know, it's a lot of people love being in a band, but are they, you know, still going to work and hold on and see for another year and what's up or do you fucking go to school and get a, a, a real job? You know what I mean? I know. This <laughs> is, this really is the test. moment. Like you're saying, yeah, man, absolutely. I like that. It, it is a test and yeah. it will separate, you know, the people that are doing it as you know, just who they are and can never stop versus those that were kind of on the fence, you know, but want other types of security, which I totally understand, you know. Me too, me um, too. I'm not, I'm not judging people's decisions, but it's just, you know, it's one of those like the divide between the hugely successful artists and the sort of the, the smaller artists is getting really big. Anybody in the middle 
has to it falls on one end or the other qu quite quickly these days it's not like <laughs> it used to be there these would be a big fat middle where you could kind of you could kind of exist you could you could have a moderate amount of success and get make a living sort of and like figure it out well that middle is is disappearing either you fall well, right now i am absolutely uh, what's interesting you're talking about like how many people are on online i would love to see the statistic if we took all the population of Canada, let's say, okay, and you know, on, on their phones, they always have the app and it shows how much screen time they have used, right? I'd love to see if you count, added up everybody's screen time into one in 2000 and, you know, or since the pandemic started compared to 2019, let's say, I mean, you know, it's, oh, yeah. it'd be fucking interesting. Everybody's going to have to run and go get glasses because they can't see anymore or shit, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it, have you, know you done any of these live shows at all? Like uh, on, live on internet type shows. Yeah, I did. Um, so I did. I did a couple of them, um, and they all went rather well. Like the because the, the, I opened the Fringe Fest uh, mm -hmm. this year, um, which was uh, which was great. And the Fringe Fest always has a pretty good following. I did the um, one man band thing, one man band festival. They were doing some online shows, um, but I did one way at the end of the year. Like finally, uh, I. I I actually filmed it at a venue and we filmed, I got the band together and we, we played one really big show. And that was a lot of fun because it was like yeah. lockdown had been lifted quite a bit. And we, and so we were allowed to, to be on stage together, but we had to be distanced. So we were, we were mm -hmm. really far, far from each other. It was an awkward show because you couldn't move left and right. <laughs> you could just stay like where you are, but, yeah, but it was nice to play on a live stage. There was no audience. Um, but when it broadcast, a lot of people signed in. It was really nice. Like it was, it, it, it I always thought I'll be totally honest. Okay. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I don't miss, uh, is, is touring in, in the sense that I, I've never really liked being, I'm kind of a homebody. I don't like being mm -hmm. away that much. I like, be, I love being in the studio. I love being able to get home and have supper with the family or, or be, I, I don't like being away. I, I don't like, I don't like calling my son. You know what I mean? Like from like hours and hours away and calling him to say goodnight. You know, I, I always feel bad about that. Um, but the thing is like, I do realize that I, I do enjoy performing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I, I, oh, like I don't miss, Maybe I don't miss like the, the crashing on shitty couches and bad, you know, bad hotel rooms and, and like not like having to argue with it, but like a promoter or whatever, because we didn't bring enough people and or what, like all the stupid shit that happens when touring. It's like, I don't miss any of that, but I do miss some of the performance because when, when we did the show, I was like, oh, wow, that was that was a lot of fun. And that's the um, hour and a half in that day that made everything else worthwhile. Right. Yeah. And it, it was, it was really nice. So I do miss, I do miss performing a bit. And often I'll say like, I don't miss performing at all. I, I do a little bit, you know, uh, but I, again, like I'm so fortunate because of this, the, the built-in studio, like at this point, um, like all I've been doing is recording albums and I'm mm -hmm. recording music and, and just like honing in on that craft. And, um, I'm getting really, really sharp at this. You know what I mean? Like I'm becoming, yeah. um, I'm becoming a producer in, in a way that I, it kind of, it kind of sped up that process. I'm really spending a lot of time and like recording and dicking around in the studio and figuring shit out and figuring my space out really, really profoundly. So it's been that in that way, it's been, it's, I've, I've, I've made this time useful at least, you know? Well, that, that's it. Like, I mean, you're a lucky person in the sense that uh, you're a person that seems to always have a project on the go. You know what I mean? So for yeah. some people, this is almost like, you know, like a blessing just to have some time, 
You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I understand that. But I'd find the duration now is, is different. Like, for instance, I did some of these yeah. internet shows as well. I did the one-man band thing three, four times or something. At the start of the pandemic in the first wave, it, it was kind of fun. And it was summertime, you know. I had my Hawaiian shirt on and sun shining. I was smoking the spliff. I'm doing my thing and feeling good. Did one other solo one not too long ago. It was a different feeling. I'm just like, oh, yeah. okay, I've done this. And, you know, you might even be doing some of the same songs or whatever. It's like there's not a crowd there to make it feel differently. That, hey, that, some, that was a bit harder. There's some online exhaustion, too. I think yeah. people are getting like a little fed up. Like every time you go, I have another EP. I have another online show. It's like people are like, who gives a shit? You know, like I, I got like the you, perfect you did one example. two months ago. Dude, check this out. Remember that phase? Okay, and I've done it myself too. I did it like three times, but everybody's making the Zoom videos, right, of their song and everybody's playing at their home and, you know, yeah. putting together. That was like everywhere, right? Like every day there was like four or five new ones. Yeah. Have you seen one lately? <laughs> I, 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 I saw one this week compared to like, you know, 50 in the yeah, first wave, everybody's burnt the fuck out on that shit. And yeah, it, it's sure. cool for five seconds too, because even as a viewer, they all look the same. Yeah, the music's different and you you, you yeah. like it and you dig it, you know, but I, I think there's a lot of burnout and basically is what I'm saying as well, you know? Oh, there's without a doubt there's burnout. But you know what? Honestly, I think even the creative process, I think you might be right, you know, uh, about it's kind of it's kind of slowing down. Like like in, in the sense that like, okay, look, I've been working in the studio. So the technical side, I'm really working it, it's cool. But I've noticed one thing, like I am, I am uh, an explosively creative person. Okay, so, so mm -hmm. I write, I, I in, a, in a typical year, I'll write, you know, three to four poems, which could, could easily become lyrics for a song a day. Mm -hmm. um, and I will, I will write maybe three or four songs a week. Okay, so this is like, and, I, and this is to completion, like I will complete a demo if in case, who knows, you want to send it to somebody or whatever. Yeah. So I'm constantly writing. And um, in the last little while, I got to admit, like, I, I'm looking at my, my poetry. And my, I'm, I've always been driven by the lyrics first. And I'm looking at my lyric books, my poetry books. Um, you know, in the old days, I would, you know, at the end of the day, I'd finish something at two, three in the morning, at two o'clock in the morning, whatever. And I would go to a bar and have a pint and just watch the world go by me and write like compose basically I sit there and write a song or write lyrics to lyrics to something but I'm looking at my poetry books and I'm like telling you like the output is like one-fifth of what it was the year where I was able to go out and observe the world and get inspired well I'm writing definitely a lot less it's just because like there's less I'm interaction so fucking with you man and which makes me think yeah I think it was in Asia somewhere in Asia at first, when like I'm going back years ago, when they used to say, you know, people are more productive when they have some off time, even during the day, and they, you know, allowed some employees to have a nap or whatever it is, or go to a bar and have a pint, you know. But yeah. it shows, it really shows that when you take those things away, even though you have more time to work, you're not necessarily right. producing more, right? Exactly. And isn't that the difference? Isn't that like, like I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not an introvert, right? So I think, I think it maybe just is about like what you feel energized by, you know, introverts are like, they, when they get home, they get re-energized and they get, mm -hmm. they get away from people, you know, a party will stress them out. For me, I need people around me constantly. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, okay, I, I do, I, man. <laughs> I only need like four or five hours alone. The rest of the time I want to be, it, I want it to feel like a party all the time. That's when I feel inspired. That's when I write. That's when I create. That's when I, 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 I can't. You I don't, feel I don't, creative when you're living life, my friend. Exactly. And so, <laughs> I, 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 and honestly, like I can see it just slipping away a bit because I, I just, I have less stories to tell, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's an, it's an unusual, uh, it's an unusual moment. It, I mean, it'll all come back, right? And one day we'll even be able to write about this. But it's okay. just like here, here, check, check this out. That this is one of the things I, I kind of pre-prepared that I wanted to talk to you specifically about. But sure. we're already opening up the subject now. You know when I said, uh, okay, I'm writing a song, a, a new album. I I noticed the first three songs. One's called Fifty Nine Chevy. I'm primed to go. It's all about being locked up too long. I need to get the fuck out. <laughs> Another one is called I'm Best When I'm on the Road. You see where yeah. I'm going, right? Like, yeah. but I'm kind of I, I don't want to write every song in this album about being you know stuck yeah. in and wanting to get back on, on the road and all this kind of thing. So as a songwriter that has, I, I, later on, I do want to go over this also, kind of your backstory, but I, I know you've been in bands. I know you've sang in French. I know you sing in English. I know you do solo stuff. I know you work with other artists. I know you produce. I know you record. You do all kinds of amazing shit, okay? Now, Thank you. when you are in a rut, because it's not true that we're always constant, right? What tricks do you have when you're in a rut and you need to produce something, but you're just not feeling motivated? What do you do? Uh, I, I, there are moments I'm not, I'm not denying that there are moments where I sit there in front of the screen and I'm like, I gotta make this thing, the deadlines this weekend, and I gotta make this song. And, uh, I, it's not coming to me. I have, when I was, so I, I can only respond with a story. Okay. When yeah. I was, when I was in high school, um, so I started writing a lot of songs. Like I, st I realized this is something I really wanted to do. Right. So I was 15, 16, the vendettas started touring and I was like, holy shit, I'm in high school and I'm making money. You know what I mean? Like there was something, mm -hmm. I was like, this is, this is it. This is the life for me, you know? Um, but I saw this interview with Elvis Costello and Elvis Costello said, uh, I'm writing a song. I write, I'm writing a song every day, but I misread it. Okay. I, I, I write a song every day is what I, I heard from him. And I went, that's it. I'm going to write a song every day. Like Elvis Costello, one of my songwriting heroes, I'm going to do it. That's it. I'm going to write. And I wrote a song every day for a year. And no matter what, even when what was coming out of me was like, this is, not, I got nothing. Just write it, finish it anyway. Um, but, and then, then at the end of the year, I re-looked at, like I reread the interview and then I saw that he's like, he's writing a song every day. Do you know, like he's, he's always working on a song. It's mm -hmm. not that he writes a song a day. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, that year I came out with, you know, 370 <laughs> songs and uh, not all of them were good. Actually, 90% of them were totally, total garbage. But then there was this 10%. And the weirdest thing about the songs that was the 10% that were good and that were actually really good, that actually made me kind of famous to who I am today. I'm not saying I'm famous, but like it, no, built, it built, my, yep. built my career to a place where I was earning money. I, I was like, Oh wow, the ten percent that that were really good weren't always the days where I went in thinking this is I'm inspired. This is happening. Some of those songs were on the days where I was forcing myself, and I just was like, "Okay, I got to do it. It's a job." So, whenever I'm blocked, I remind myself of that mentality, that philosophy of going into something and being like, "This is a job." This is actually a job. Don't don't denigrate what people do. You know what I mean? Who have to go to a job and do it, 
Even the days that it feels like garbage, they're hungover, they hate it, they hate their work, they hate their coworkers, they still sit there and they still force themselves to do it. And so I truly, truly power through those ruts uh, because this is the job. And even the days that I hate it, I know that the next day I'm going to come back and be like, wow, I'm super lucky that this is what I do. Well this, said, sir. It, that's, Very that's well my, said. Yeah, there you go. I, it's, it. Comes, comes from that story. Because honestly, honestly, it's like, and if I hadn't trained myself that year, like I think I was 16 or 15 or 16, if I hadn't trained myself to just being like every day, you know, I was in high school and I'm like, I'm, I, people are like, what do you, you know, they want to hang out. They want to have a beer, you know, and I'd be like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a song. I'm, I'm on my four track. I'm writing a song. And I was like, I put time aside. I get good at it. I get good at structuring tunes, knowing what, you know, my patterns, breaking out of patterns, all those kinds of things. Songwriting is an art and it's, but it's also, it's a, it's you know, it's like, mm -hmm. it's what we do. So Absolutely, it's like, man. Bring your lunchbox. Yeah. I know. Like I treat it like that. I'm a, I'm a workaholic, but I just love what I do. Yeah, there's something about like people that are songwriters. I mean, all kinds of musicians play on and add to songs, you know, I mean, like your, your drummer, your bass player, whatever will add to songs, but somebody has to actually sit down there and kind of come up yeah. with a song and, you know, a songwriter and you are a songwriter. You've made a lot of albums. I, I know you've recorded a bunch with the, you mentioned it, your high school band, which it started and then continued after that, the Vendettas. Yep. Now, then you switch to a solo uh, career and if I'm not mistaken I think right away you started singing in French yeah I, I was always uh, well trying I mean at the beginning mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it was two I mean it was 2000 so <laughs> we're talking about wow that's a while long, ago <laughs> a long time ago now uh, but it was 2000 and my French was was weak but it, like I wasn't so strong at it but I loved artists like Jean Lelou and Kalok, and, mm -hmm. and there were all kinds of groups that I, I truly loved that were yeah. francophone. Isabelle, je te You know, it's like, and it's a huge influence on me. And I was like, well, I'm in Quebec and I'm playing these shows in front of, in front of francophones all the time. I might as well do one or two songs per album. So each album I would do one to two songs. And then uh, over time, there was this one year I was like, that's it. I'm going to do a French album. And mm -hmm. surprisingly, at that time, there were, I can name one Anglophone that I, that I knew, like Jim, Jim Crocoro, that I knew that was an Anglophone who sang in French. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, this is like, I, I, I can't believe now it's, it's happening all the time, right? People mixing French and English all the time. But like Absolutely. at the time, at the time, there was just Jim Jim Corcoran, so Jim and Bertrand, and then like some of the things from my past, like that multilingual intercultural stuff, like Mimom and Morgan Tyler, mm -hmm. which was like, I, I grew up, Gus was my babysitter. So I, like, <laughs> when I was, when I was, I was a, I was a break, I was a, their mascot in a breakdance crew. I was a five-year-old breakdancer and they, they had a little. Right crew. on. Uh, See, so, nobody knew this before, I'm sure. No, no. <laughs> This is, uh, this is, this goes way back, back in NDG, back in the NDG days. But we, we, like, I was so influenced by Gus's openness to doing stuff in French, even though he had his, his charming Anglo accent, he wasn't ashamed to do it. He just did it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, so I, I remember just being like, okay, if, if people aren't, aren't ashamed to do it, cause it felt embarrassing, you know, like my accent sounds silly. Uh, but uh, people responded really positively. And that, and that 
when you like for me like looking at my career like it started it did okay in English but like once I started tackling the French market too it was like suddenly I'm, I'm like I'm reaching American and Canadian markets in, in some minor way but then I would be the, the France market and the, the French market and the Quebec market you know so it's like you, you could play a lot of different areas and it really exploded for me, at least my career. That's it's been a very helpful tool to, to be able to express myself in, in both. Well, especially because, like I, like I said before, mm-hmm. you're somebody that likes to produce, be at home. You like to play shows, but you don't necessarily want to be on the road for six weeks straight, you know, and, and this <sighs> kind of thing. So, in your case, that totally makes sense too, because like you know, <laughs> there's more French people than English people here, and uh, you know, you reached yeah. out to them and asked. Basically, the way I see it is, you asked can I stay home and play music within this area? Are you guys with me? And they said, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, and, and don't forget, man, like the, the whole, uh, the, you know, Europe is different when you, when mm-hmm. you have a French single, the, the royalties in France are pay, you know, 15 times what they pay in Canada, you know, like, well, they, it's, the it's government supports them to like crazy. Hey, man, it's, it's wild. It's amazing. You play, you play shows out there and things are promoted, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was it like the, it opened up a world for me that that really changed things. So yeah, I mean, but, and I still, by the way, I still compose in French even a lot more now than I ever did. And I, the, the the two albums that I've been working on for this entire year, you know, I had a collection of, um, I had a collection of like 26, 27, really, really good songs that they all kind of, they all fit together. Okay, I could have yeah. put out a, I could have put out a 27 song album, uh, <laughs> but uh but I'm, I'm, I split them up and I, I translated one entirely into French. So I have a French album and I have an English album. And that's, you know, for the things to come in 2021, I've got two projects mm-hmm. that I'm sitting on right now. And it's, it's one in French and one in English. So I'm still doing it. Uh, it, just, it just gets less notoriety, I think, because so many people are doing it now. You get, you get francophone singing in English, you get anglophone singing in French, you're getting a lot of those like um, mixed songs, just enough to get well, francophone radio play and, you know, just enough. And to even TV shows, shows too. Isn't yeah. that cool? I, I don't, there, uh, what is it? Uh, War of the Worlds. There's a new War of the Worlds uh, TV show that came out. I think right. it's so cool, man. Half the characters are in France and half the characters are uh, British. All right. So the English ones are speaking in English and the French are speaking in French because I don't know about you, but I hate overdubs. I'd rather yeah, have, have like the, even subtitles. the subtitles. Yeah. Yeah. So you can hear the actor's voice and yeah. what they're doing. Cause acting is an art as well. Right. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, but I, all that to say that I, I I'm with you totally. I like, uh, there's so much more crossover and in different uh, languages. Uh, what was that TV show? Lilyhammer. It, 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 it was with what's his face uh, Van Zant from Bruce Springsteen's uh, uh, band that was in um, in the Sopranos as well. Steve, little Stephen uh, Van Zant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he left that. Sopranos and did Lilyhammer, and <laughs> I think it's Norwegian or something. And he, like he's speaking English, everybody else speaking something else, you know. But so I, cool. I love that shit, man. I love it too. I love it too. And I, you know, it's it's that kind of international internationalist appeal that I mean that's what makes Montreal Montreal too so it's like mm-hmm. so p- for part of it it's like I'm not, I don't even think it, it should be that exceptional New Orleans man like New Orleans has that whole vibe too like that's what makes yeah. that's what we love about New Orleans right we love the fact that it's intercultural and it, it, you know it's all kinds of things are being pushed together and influencing each other and it's that's what makes art great it's it's when you can it's when you can draw from as many resources and as many uh, and when you can express yourself in as many languages as possible. We should see that as a, a complete advantage. You know, absolutely. I'm pretty convinced that the most multi, uh, multicultural uh, cities are the cities with 
the most art or interesting art for sure because like you're drawing from different sources and making something new you know it's yeah. fantastic and we are blessed to be in montreal and you know have all these incredible artists like sometimes i do feel like maybe the english part of montreal isn't looking at the french art as much or the french side isn't looking at the english art as much and then there's that middle path where people are kind of you know working more to get together and that will always exist and fine i can't judge that either and people are gonna like what they're gonna like but it does give us an advantage it gives you more area to explore right well you know how it is it's always what you're always butting heads with as an artist and this will be true I think going forever, unless there's some big, huge sea change, is you're always butting up against the industry. And you're like, when I was starting out, so wait, so, you know, you were talking about when I was first coming out with French records, okay? Mm -hmm. that, that was the weirdest fucking time for me because people, <laughs> people would be like, if you went to a record store, so this is back when you actually would go to Archambault or you'd go to HMB mm -hmm. to buy something, Sam the Recommend, whatever, you'd go to a store and there'd be a section. And one section, was francophone and one section was anglophone in quebec there was such a separation yep. of things people i would get calls from distributors because i was still an indie artist so i would get a call from a distributor saying where do we place you and it was i was like i don't care you figure it out you know and i would have my album is in <laughs> that's right you figure section. it out you sell my shit motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> no but i was like what, what do you want me to say it's like I'm, i put out one french record i'm not a frank I, I you can't put me in the francophone section yeah uh, but that francophone album will you know it, people going just going for francophone stuff uh, you know are only going to go in that section. So my stuff would be divided up. Like you'd see me all over the place. I, the vendettas, <laughs> the vendettas were in a punk section or, or back then alternative. Right. Um, right. And then, uh, and then, you know, my solo stuff would be in the folk anglophone section and my francophone stuff would be in the pop francophone. Section. Like it was chaos, you know, and it, you couldn't get all my shit in one place. So it's like, uh, that was, it, but, and that's what you were butting up against. You were butting up against radio stations, radio stations that were set up to protect a certain language or mm -hmm. like, English stations that seem to know absolutely nothing about the Francophone cu culture that's here. Or you would butt up against these old vestiges of the industry, these old boys clubs trying to protect everything they had for as long as they could. And it, I felt like it was like watching and I still do. Every once in a while, I still see these old farts, you know, like it's like a sinking ship and you just see them in there proudly, you know, holding on to everything, like everything they got, but it's sinking, you know, that's, it's not going to be that way. The industry is going to change. And Absolutely. it's like, and it's always one of those things, like it was always, you know, the Vendettas were an interesting band too, because we would play with like, a lot of hip hop acts too, you know, like we were playing with like Shades of Culture and I remember touring a bit with Shades and Zion. And, and people at the time, you know, we're talking about the early 2000s, there was like confusion and it wasn't coming from the audiences. The audiences and the us as artists, we were open to this. The idea of Kutta and the Vendettas, it made sense, punk rockers and reggae, you know, dance hall and punk rock mm -hmm. has, been, has been fusing since, since the beginning. But it's like, it was the industry that was always like, I don't know if this is gonna work. I don't know if this is gonna, it's just like, you wanna be like, look, I'm the artist. I tell you what to do. You don't tell me what to do. You're an idiot. You're some intermediary who got who graduated from business school. I know what people want. You know what I mean? Like I'm here play, performing for people and writing and I'm here 
absorbing all of it. We all want to mix and mingle and the industry is always the last place that budges. But what's interesting right now compared to then what, what, what I'm totally hearing here is that you're, you're perfectly right. Uh, okay, because like what happened is all these major changes in the artists happened and the industry wasn't prepared to adapt or move at all. They had very firm boxes. But here right now, today, we're seeing it again, too. Like, you know how we're, we're talking about all the streaming sites, whether it's Spotify, Apple Music, whatever it is, okay? There's all kinds of that shit. There's bigger ones and smaller ones. And they were kind of always on the side and smaller than, you know, playing live music was bigger revenue, radio was bigger revenue. But here we are in a pandemic. All of a sudden, they are the biggest. Yeah. But because they were so on the side, they, you know, the whole thing about, oh, Spotify doesn't pay well and stuff. Nobody really cared too much because that wasn't their primary source. But now yeah. all of a sudden, we're realizing that, wait a minute, these streaming sites might end up being the primary source. So now, they, you know, shit has to, they, they, to they're change, getting away, you know? They're getting away with murder right now. Just like labels <laughs> did back in the day before yeah. internet. Yeah, you know, and, it's and, exactly the same type of revolution. Oh yeah, and they were—they are going to hold on to this old model of the idea that they're not—you um, know—that they're not broadcasters or something. Do you know what I mean? Like they're—they're they're always going to say like we're—we're—it's sales, so we can—you know—you have to sign to whatever deal that we have. Uh, they're going to hold on to that right up until they drown in lawsuits. And then it's, it's fucking be robbery. All they are is a bunch of people typing in code in a computer and choosing yeah. colors. That's it's all they do. They this do has been, fuck this is, all. This has been <laughs> the industry for forever. You get somebody coming in with some kind of innovation, some kind of like intermediary position. They go and make as they go and make as much money off of the people who actually create the, the content, and then yeah, they like, fuck off with all the billions of dollars. I mean, this is what like I when I was first joining Twitter. I mean, like, I don't want it, I don't want this to be like a big bashing of new technologies. I'm on everything, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm on it, every single thing. <laughs> I've peed in every corner too, man. It's okay. <laughs> okay. I'm, not, I'm not in TikTok yet, but you know. Uh, I just downloaded the app. I didn't open it or sign okay, it, but okay. I did download the app today. Well, get ready, get ready for like, uh, get ready for like dance routines and stuff. Yeah, I don't uh, think I'm going to go all the way. <laughs> but I remember when, uh, I remember when I got up on Twitter, I was like, okay, so when is Twitter going to start paying us for all this content? You know, because it's like, man, I, like, you know, you're the first person I ever heard say that. And well, does that make sense? Yes, it does. Of course it does. We, you should be paid <laughs> when you're on there. You're publishing, you're publishing. Uh, it's like a blog or opinions. Yeah. You're publishing yeah. shit. You're making somebody billions and billions yeah. and billions they of dollars. They without you, me, anybody in the world. They would God, not they even could, exist. They could be paying us even like a minimal salary to have an account and they would still be billionaires. It's yeah. just like, it's an incredibly frustrating system. But it, this is the way it's gone. Look at MySpace. Look at all the Napster. Remember, like, there's always some, some yeah. shitty new thing that lasts 10 years, 20 years, and then it disappears. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I can't, you know, I can't wait for the... Can't wait for the moment where we're looking back on Facebook and we're like, remember, remember that thing Facebook... And we'd be like, man, there were like, there were like congressional hearings and, you know, like there were people were talking about it, like, and that guy Zuckerberg, remember, and he's like some billionaire living in LA, you know, it's, and it turns it's, out he was an alien. Yeah, yeah, He was one of the lizard people. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we all knew it, but nobody would actually come out and say it. Right. Alex Jones was right. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's always been that way. And it's uh, free market capitalism. It's uh, it's probably listen. You're busy as hell, and uh, I, I know uh, we, we, we still have a bit of time here. 
but I want to know what you're up to now and what's coming up, man. Because like, like we could look backwards, but you know what? Fuck the past. All right. You have tons of albums. They're all awesome. Everybody out there. He has tons of albums. They're all awesome. What's coming up next? Thanks. <laughs> I'm going to put that in my press kit. Uh, That's right. <laughs> I, uh, what I, so right now, uh, me and my brother came out with records. So I, me and my brother have a group called skinny bros. <laughs> and, nice. uh, we uh we somehow and it was a herculean effort to do this but we miraculously put out an album in december and uh right on the pulse of things too the first song was trouble and it's about trump and all this stuff. <laughs> it's an album called the beginning and the end uh but it's a really cool project because we we always work with other artists so so other people are singing we, we don't ever sing so it's always featuring different artists uh incredible talent from montreal uh so skinny bros i'm in the process of kind of promoting that uh online and uh, we've been doing a lot of a lot of promotion in that regard, but you know how much can you really promote right now? Yeah, like you know, and, and motivation. <laughs> exactly. And but we and we but we had to put it out because we had to because we're just yep. it was there and we we had worked so hard to finish it and it, it it should come out now. And if you don't, it's just going to be blocking you from your next thing, right? Exactly. Because you have to and get that done. You don't want it. You don't want it to sit there and then it to feel irrelevant to you and it, you yeah. Know, but so so that's coming out and i produced last year right before the lockdowns right before covid hit um i had uh, produced a song for maxi priest actually in oh really cool yeah that which came out this year so it's another uh, song and album that's doing really well and it's a song with maxi priest and jonathan emile so i produced uh jonathan emile his record i did uh there's an album i produced for chlorel which is still to come out so he is going to be dropping it this year uh, it's a, it's an R&B album and it's it's so good. It's like some blend of like uh, you know Sam Cooke and Daniel Caesar kind of cut some blend somewhere in there. Uh, and like I said, I have two records in the can, <laughs> so they are they're sitting and ready to go. I can't talk about it too much yet because there's all kinds of things <laughs> in the work and works. Doing uh, some tequila. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's but it's it's good stuff like and possibly my best work, which I say every time before I put out a record, but I but truly- it's new baby. It's, it's, but it is, it is in some ways like this culmination of this weird year where I, I really work the studio side of things and the songwriting is, I, I feel very confident in my songwriting. So if you like my stuff, you'll like it, but, but the production is, 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 is A1. Like I'm very, very proud of this. So, um, so yeah, so you know, currently promoting Skinny Bros, which is a great album, promoting Montreal artists, which I love to do, and uh, Clarell's album coming out, and uh, my solo shit. That's uh, it's ready, eh? It's ready. It's ready. Now, can I say when it's coming out? Not at all. Yeah, no, I, I feel it. Like I said at the start of the show, man, we're booking shows right now that I don't even know if they're gonna happen or not because, yeah. like, we don't know how long this thing's gonna go on. But you know, when you're saying. We have to plan these things uh, six to eight months in the future. Well, the reality is that as soon as the green light is on, every yeah. single band in the world is going to want to book a show that day. Yeah. <laughs> right? So you have sure. to kind of book ahead as well, because once the green light's going, every venue is going to be booked for a year. That's <laughs> absolutely true. You know, it, like, it, it, it's wild, man. It's, it's going to be a booking market at that point. Yeah, like, absolutely. And hopefully somebody will think about open up, opening up some new venues, right? Because there's yeah. going to be some gaps uh, around there as well. That, it's going to be, sure. be a rough re-entry for sure. 
Yeah. Like two questions the, for you, Paul. Yeah. Two questions to end this off with. Okay. You're stuck on an island. Name me three albums that everybody should listen to at least one once in their life. Wow. Okay. So I uh, think that uh, I would say Los Lobos uh, this time. No, I would say no. Los Lobos. Uh, yeah, this time. All I don't right. know if you know. I don't know if you know that record by Los. I Lobos. don't know it, but I'm gonna go check it out now. Okay. I would say the Posthumous Prince album. Do you remember the Posthumous Prince album that just came that came out after he died about his demos, all the demos that he had written for other people from the vault, right? Yeah, this album is so beautiful. It's yeah. it's like his solo piano stuff. I, I absolutely loved it. The thing I, I love about Prince is his top like the popular stuff but how he had those under like that Black Album Come it was called with Papa yeah. on it and it was all weird and eerie. He did that on the side, you know. Oh, he is he is absolutely brilliant. I love it. I love everything he's done. Yeah. I'm, a, third, I'm a sucker for Prince. And the third one would be Nina Simone Pastel ooh. Blues. There you go. And the final question, Guilty Pleasure album. Uh, oh my God. You know, you know I, I can't even tell you how guilty I can go. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure because we, we all do. <laughs> yeah. I would say, okay, so when my son was younger, he got uh, LMFAO, that one with uh, I'm Sexy and I Know It and all that stuff. Yeah, man. You know what? I still think that record is great. <laughs> Paul, it's beautiful seeing your face, my man. Never stop. I know you want. I know even if we tied you up, you wouldn't stop. And fucking uh, we'll get you back on here another time as well because it was great to see your face. And just great don't change, too. brother. Have great a great see you too, man. Peace. Boom! 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 Boom!